Welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast. I'm your host, Kojo Buffon, and this podcast is an extension of my book, also called Listen to Your Footsteps, which is a collection of essays, reflections, and poetry on things like fatherhood, identity and belonging, growing up, creativity, and the lessons learned. The purpose of this podcast is to gain insight and learn from the journeys that others have taken. I explore the worlds of art, culture, design, business, creativity, and life from the perspective of Africans who are contributing to the redefinition of the continent and who we are. So welcome to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tanya Junghans. Uh, the interesting thing about Tanya is that you're all over the internet. It feels like you're all over the internet, but there's not a lot of information about you on the internet. Yeah, which, it's intentional. Yeah. Which, which, which I hope is going to make for an interesting conversation. So welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So how do you, how do you define yourself? I mean, well, not necessarily define because define sounds like putting yourself in a box. Um, but yeah. you know, you, you've, I've, I've realized that you've, you know, you've played in music, you've played mm-hmm. in art, you're writing a book. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've found somewhere where they called you a food critic or a food blogger. <laughs> <laughs> which is interesting. Um, yeah. So, and, and, you know, beyond being, I guess, your most, imp- your more important job of being a mother, um, yes. what, what, do, when somebody asks you what you, what do you do? What would you, what's your answer to that? It's uh, usually just artists. Um, okay. It depends on my mood, really. Um, but I think the, the most accurate description of who I am and what I do is a creative. I'm an artist. So all these things that you have described are just expressions of my creativity. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a multidisciplined person as far as how I express myself artistically. And because I have a knack of picking up things, you know, um, when I say I'm going to play the guitar, I play the guitar. When I say I'm going to write songs, I write songs, uh, because I just want to know how it is done and if I can do it. And it just happens that it turns out satisfactory most times. And with the whole cooking thing, for example, we all cook every day, you know, so what happened with me is that I just shared, you know, a meal that I'm making and somebody said, oh, could you share the recipe? And I'm like, okay, sure. This is how it's done. And because I share a lot of my daily mundane activities, that's mm-hmm. how the cooking thing happened. But I'm not really into this whole food critic or food creation and all of that. It's just that I cook every day and I like my food to be delicious and to be appealing to my eye. I eat a lot with my eye. And it's just so it it became something that somebody was interested in and more people became interested in. And I was like, okay, I'll share because I'm artistic. So I'd bake a cake and it would look awesome. And somebody would say, oh my goodness, how did you do that? What is the flavor? And I'll share. So I I share, you know, Mm. But um, intrinsically, like, I'm just an artist. Um, My first discipline and my first love is 
sketching and painting. However, that, you know, my artistic um, expression really goes into many, many disciplines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does this stem from? I mean, where, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And when, mm-hmm. when did you start kind of down this path? Where were the seeds planted for it? Honestly, I would say that I was born this way. I have the um, <laughs> I have the pleasure of remembering things when I was really young. I remember before I could speak. I remember before I could hold a pen properly, and I remember my mom drew like a flower. Uh, and, you know, it was one of those days where one is doing art and crafts with their mum. Mum was mm-hmm. off work, so we were sitting there doing some crayon and whatnot. And when I saw her flower, I wanted to do it like her, but I didn't have the ability. I, could, I didn't have the, um, the control of holding mm-hmm. a pen like her, uh, and it frustrated me. And I remember that it became sort of like a mission for me during those days to do that very simple flower, like one of those childish flowers. Yeah. But at that age, I was a toddler. It was very challenging for me and I needed to do it. I wanted to do it. And I went and practiced until I did it. And when I was able to connect that desire to make something happen and what it took to make it happen and actually it coming and manifesting. It was like I broke the code and I realized, oh, if I think of something and I want to do it, I can just do it over and over and over until I get it right. And that just became art for me. Mm. So I would see something and I think it's beautiful and I'd want to replicate it. And I would get the tools that I could get my hands on and replicate it. Similar with music. If I hear a tune in my head, I will want to replicate it. So I'll get a tool like a guitar or software and I will tinker at it until that sound that I was hearing in my head is made manifest in the three dimension in our world. And the same thing with books. I'll have a story. And the story will want to be told. And I will tinker around on the keyboard until that story is told. And I started with, you know, blogging. You know, back in the days we used to Mm. blog. And I blog my thoughts. And I realized, oh, okay, I'm writing an essay here. And there's some kind of structure to it and and so forth. So it it became like... um, it became sort of like a lifestyle that I would see something or hear something or imagine something and I'd want to make it manifest in the physical. And yeah, I was born, to answer your question, in Durban. Um, but I grew up most of my life in Port Shepston okay. at the South Coast. Uh, that's uh, near the Eastern Cape and KZN border there mm. by the Wild Coast Sun. And afterwards, I moved to Joburg after matric and went to Wits for a while. Didn't finish my degree. 
What did you go and study? A uh, bachelor in science in construction management. <laughs> okay, well, why? Why? Yeah. I mean, you, you just talked about, you know, your approach art. to your approach to art and how it's kind of been something that's a part of you, right? Um, yeah. And then you come out of matric and you go do construction management. I know, it was a huge mistake. However, the thing is, with me, I've always been artistic and I never thought at the time that I needed to study art mm. because I knew art. So I had that idea in my head, which was quite arrogant at the time to assume such because there is so much to learn. There are many disciplines that would have made my life much easier had I gone there and just did that first, you know? Well, However, my so my question would then be, because the, you know, art is part of your life and you just did art. Um, did you ever think, okay, this is what I want to do for a career? Um, one of my biggest gripes, or one of the things I'm trying to figure out in this day and age, um, which wasn't the case previously was like in this day and age, if you show ability or if you do anything, uh, mm -hmm. then the world assumes you must monetize it. It must become a career. Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Whereas, whereas growing up, like we had hobbies. You yeah. Know, and, and you did a hobby because it brought you pleasure, joy. it brought you joy, mm. um, whatever it was. And it didn't have to be what you're going to mm -hmm. do for a living, what you, what you do for a living, what you do to put the roof over your head can be separate from the things that bring you joy. Exactly. I agree completely with you. But in my case, the problem, I don't know if it's a problem, but the thing with my brain is that as much as it's artistic, it's also quite scientifically inclined. I don't have problems with understanding math physics, chemistry. As a matter of fact, I was quite good at applied maths, calculus, all those things. Mm. It wasn't a problem for me, which made things very confusing for me because I couldn't decide if I wanted to be a scientist or an artist. Mm. And that's when I decided for science because I knew they, that I lacked knowledge and skill of applying scientific principle to make something out of something. However, with art, I felt that I can draw already, I can paint already, I can make music already. So why study it? And I went that direction. It wasn't even because of a love for science. No, I would never say that I love science and I love mathematics. I appreciate it. I understand it. But my love is with art. Mm. But also there's the, the, the issue of making money. Yeah. And making money via art and having a career in science. Well, the science career is much easier than success in science to mm. me seemed much easier than it would have been to succeed in art. So I suppose I chose the easy route. However, it choked me in the end because I just couldn't do it. There wasn't any 
any drive for it. I was one of those kids. I'd be sitting on campus. I have a full day program. I've got to go to the quants, quantity surveying mm. class. Imagine. And I'm carrying my guitar through campus. It was, it was a whole conflicting, uh, mentally situation where my heart has always been with art, but I was always pulled to, I was pulling myself to an area where I just didn't belong. And so, um, I dropped out of Vits and I said, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to make this happen somehow. I don't know how, but I'm going to make it happen. And I started to try and follow the artistic route, but not with studying for it because that was out of the question. So I had to make it happen without studying for it. So basically I had to try and hustle my way into the art world, whether it's mm. art painting or music or acting or whatnot, which I've done all of it, you know? Um, yeah, because there's, so there's a picture you have uh, came across on your Instagram of you on stage playing for thousands with a guitar. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what was interesting, <laughs> what was interesting for me, because I I go to most places for the comments these days, uh, was <laughs> was some of the comments, kind of people remembering, um, mm-hmm. and you know, somebody saying you were supposed to teach me how to play guitar, um, yeah. and I was just thinking, if I hadn't, because I was trying to find. But I was researching for the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of scrolled much further, you know, a few years back. Yeah, and if I hadn't seen that, I wouldn't know about the music thing. Yeah. It's, uh, I like to, to remain in the now, you know. Mm. Sure, I can like, you know go down memory lane say oh when I was that you know back in the day I was performing for thousands of people and it was great and whatnot but it's not what I'm doing now what I'm doing now is being a mom (laughs) writing books and painting pictures and so yeah I mean it it would have to be somebody who's known me for a while or Mm. yeah going down my Instagram and saying oh what is that about for somebody to know that I've done those things. And also like, I, um, I don't know. It's just, I've had a very colorful life and there's so much that has happened that is not even on Instagram. Um, for example, uh, with the music bit, when Snoop Dogg came to the country Back in the day, there was like a, all Pharrell and all of them came to the country. I was singing backup for Snoop. Mm-hmm. And when I mentioned that to people, they're like, what? What are you talking about? You? I'm like, yeah, I can sing. <laughs> <laughs> I can sing. So, um, yeah, I've done so much that is interesting. But, you know, it's it's kind of not relevant now. So, yeah, I mean. Well, I, I, th- I think everything, me. I mean, I think everything builds into the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I'm in the same space in terms of like, um, 
my 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 kind of philosophy or the my guiding line is I focus on what's right in front of me. Um, exactly. Exactly. But it's, I mean, it's taken me a while to get there. But um, you know, when when somebody's asking like the question I asked you, which I hate being asked, which is like, <laughs> what do you, what do you do? Right. Yeah. Um, and then when I look at my stuff, it's always X this or former that. Um, and it's eclectic, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but it's also, it, it feels like other lifetimes ago, but it's because if you're just focused on what's right in front of you, you know, if it happened, it happened, that's cool. Um, mm. You you gain from it, you learn lessons from it, you, you, you know, it leaves you with a certain maybe fulfillment or satisfaction. But, you know, right now it's not, not necessarily, it it's, not, it's not relevant, but yeah, like it's, exactly. like you're saying, it's, it's something that happened. Um, mm. But so what, what, I mean, what I found interesting about you is, is just the way, and, and I think you alluded to it in the beginning when I said, when one goes online, you are, you are there, <laughs> right? You're there mm-hmm. because because of of your activity mm-hmm. uh, but you're not there in terms of literally all the little bits and pieces of the journey um yes and and you you alluded to the fact that it is it is deliberate it is um, quite deliberate so yes. i mean we'll jump around a bit but <laughs> have you having said that um mm-hmm. one of the things that I think one of the things that for me, other than the fact that, you know, we, we interact with the same people and we follow the same people, therefore that's how kind of we mm. cross paths online, um, mm. was around your daughter. Um, yes. and what Nunu Kings. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so what was interesting, the, the reason why it stood out for me is because when my son was born, um, I, I tried not to put him online a lot, mm-hmm. uh, but I was already thinking about writing a book on fatherhood. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I shared, I would share stuff constantly on Twitter mm-hmm. um, and I called him the prince. Mm-hmm. So there are people, there are people who have been, I've been interacting with on Twitter and uh, people who are friends for the last, you know, what, 13, 13 years, I think I've been on Twitter for, this is my 15th year, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still know him as the prince. Yeah. Um, and, and so I did it, I, I did it for kind of very deliberately because I wanted to share, I wanted to share kind of my journey in becoming a father and what it's like raising a child. Yeah. But in the back of my mind, I also knew that I wanted to write about it more because I am a writer. Mm-hmm. What was, was there an intention when you started sharing your journey with your daughter? Yes and no. I was just so filled with joy of having a journey with her Mm. that I felt like sharing because it is such an adventure. It is so much fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, ups and downs and it's very demanding, but it's also so fulfilling. And it it is such a big part 
of who I am that had I not shared my journey with her, I would have, I would have been duplicitous. It would have, it wouldn't have been me posting because she is so, she's such a big part of who I am now. Mm. So if I had not shared that, uh, look at her, she's so cute or she's just said this to me and all of that, then I would have been misleading people about, oh, I would have felt as if I'm misleading people about who I am and what I'm about. However, I had made a rule at the beginning of this whole thing that I will stop sharing as much when she turns a certain age because, you know, babies look like babies and then their faces change and start to look like how they're going to look as when they're older. Hmm. So when that cutoff age, which is around three years old, that's when I stopped the whole sharing as much as I used to just for her protection. Yeah. And another thing, I don't share her name for her protection. So those were, it, it was like, I wanted to share my journey. And unfortunately it involved another human being with whom I had not received express and uh, explicit permission to share this journey with, mm. you know? So it, it, it became conflicting. So I had to strategize and think a bit long-term and see how I can share without causing her too much harm or harm at all. Um, so I had to have these measures in place. Um, but yeah, the sharing was just, it wasn't for any specific purpose. It was just because she just gives me so much joy and she just gives me a new dimension and understanding and perspective of life. Like being her mother has transformed me to such an extreme level as far as thinking, living, understanding that I am a completely new human being compared to who I was before she Mm. was born. And I just, I couldn't have expressed myself the way I feel authentic without involving her because she's such an important part of that development that I received of the understanding um, that I now have about certain things of just the different drives I have now compared to before I had her. And it just so happened that people also liked her Mm. as much as I like her, but it wasn't, I wasn't intending for it to make anything out of it. And that's why there hasn't been anything that has to do with monetizing. You know, like I'm not saying other people who do that are at fault or whatever. I'm just saying for me, there was no real purpose to the whole thing except for just sharing my mundane life as a mom with my munchkins. That was Mm -hmm. it. It wasn't um, 
part of a bigger plan at all. I think that internal conversation that you you had is an interesting one that we don't do enough of, um, particularly kind of particularly as parents, but just in terms of in general relationships. Uh, because so when I was writing my book, for example, and my book is is about kind of my experiences and my interpretation and understanding those experiences, mm-hmm. um, but it's rooted in in one my relationship with my father. Uh, mm-hmm. But also my relationship with my children as and, a father, uh, mm-hmm. as a father, right? And and I mean, like I have siblings, I have a wife, I have people around me, and it was I found it a an interesting but delicate balancing act in terms mm-hmm. of being able to write about write about an experience and my understanding or what I've learned from that experience, um, mm-hmm. an experience that I went through with somebody else. Um, yeah, exactly. So they're being part of that experience, but my only coming from a place, you know, from my perspective. From your perspective, yeah, uh, exactly. Because I can't speak for them, right? Um, yeah. And and I found it, I mean, I found it, 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 it was also particularly, you know, particularly with the sections I was writing about kind of my children. That mm-hmm. was, that was the harder part. Um, yeah. Because unfortunately, or, well, unfortunately my father passed, um, but I'm fortunately sorry. he is not there to tell me how can you say that? Um, I mean, my father, yeah. as it was, was one of those people's like, you know, don't go, don't go putting our business out there in the world. Uh, <laughs> and then I'm, I'm going and putting yeah. out, putting out business, but he's not around. Yeah, the old generation. He's, he's not around to yeah. reprimand me anymore. So I could do it. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting conversation. I think it's an interesting internal dialogue that we, we should have more of. Yeah, um, and it's it's a testament to, number one, the world we live in and how hostile it is that we can't just share. Yeah. You know, we can't give our cups fully to our community without um, worrying about negative repercussions. And that's the sad thing about... Mm this whole living in the age of the internet and so forth. And so I like I really had to sit down and say, yes, there is protection that I need to give her. And there is also celebration that I'd like to give her. So how do I balance that? And I think each person has their threshold of how they're going to balance that for themselves. And for me, how I did it is how I can sleep at night and without feeling guilty, without feeling that I, 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 I I did too much or not enough. You know, I feel like I didn't, the way I did it and the way that I shared my life with her is what, did my heart justice? It what it's what gave me joy, without feeling that I harmed her too much. If 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 I did harm her, she'll tell me later if it was harmful. But um, yeah, th- this is how I c- can sleep at night. I really, you know, I think she's adorable. You know, I, I can't help it. 
And as a mom, we know how, I don't know if you, you should know you're a dad, but you sometimes you just want to show people how adorable your child is because they're adorable. And I think it's like, um, it's a natural desire to share something beautiful. And so I had to like decide the parameters of that. Mm. And those are the parameters that I decided to, um, to, to enforce yeah. with her. And that's why, for example, I delete all my tweets like once a week. Okay. I, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. I delete my tweets once a week. I like to scrape things as much as I can. Of mm. course, everything is forever yeah. in on the internet, but where I can, I do a lot of cleaning up and it's a conscious thing and I keep an eye on things. Uh, for example, now that she is above the age of where I decided to stop sharing her, I don't show her face that much anymore. Mm. You know, I'll show maybe a profile or take a picture from a distance where she's not quite, you know, visible just to share that I'm having this experience with her and it's lovely yeah, and, and so on. And we don't just live in an age where, you know, sharing too much can harm us. When children are involved, there are other harmful things out there that as parents, we should, you know, keep in mind when we share and stuff like that. And as I said, these are my rules. They don't apply to other parents. But I personally do not uh, post anything that is unflattering, any picture that is unflattering of her. Mm. You know, like sometimes I see people, you know, posting crying children or children that are upset or children that are finding difficulty in regulating their emotions and and just things that I would view as humiliating or things that are not glorifying that child, but putting that child under, mm. under criticism or under negative yeah, even the, even, from yeah, the, strangers. The potential, I mean, even the potential to become a meme. Uh, yeah, exactly. In this day and age, it's like... Uh, yeah. I was actually looking at one the other day. So there's there's this young American boy who was one of the memes, um, and he's mm-hmm. now he's now a teenager, and and um, I think he plays American football. Oh. And it was just it was just interesting to see the. Uh, I think it's benefited him, uh, yeah. but it doesn't benefit everyone. Um, but it was exactly. interesting to see. You know, I've been seeing the meme around for years and then you realize, <laughs> oh my God, like actually quite a bit of time has transpired. And this yeah. person's now, you know, they may have been like eight when this thing came out. Now they're 18. Yeah, hectic, eh? Um, and that's, yeah, that's, the, that's there for posterity. Yeah. I am curious. And it worked I, out for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, it did. I'm curious though. So, I mean, you are raising your daughter mm-hmm. in, in an environment that's different from the one that you grew up in. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, I mean, 
does that have an impact? Um, is it something that you're cognizant of? And I asked this, like, just thinking about how my father raised me in, in an environment that was totally different from where he grew up. Um, mm-hmm. And having been the child, like, you don't notice it. It's just, it's another space, right? Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you're, you grew up in South Africa, and then mm-hmm. you're raising your child in Switzerland, yeah. which is a total, it's a total different kind of, perspective and way of life and everything so is that is that something you think about i think about it a lot um at first i i was worried about it uh because i tend to worry a lot i'm an overthinker so i was worried that you know she's not going to get the the cultural influence of her Zulu side as a Zulu woman, you know, um, she's, she has me to, to impart some bits of it, but at the end of the day, she's in Europe Mm. surrounded by Europeans. There's nothing Zulu going on around her, uh, except for me. And I am assimilated into this European culture. I don't walk around with my Zulu garb out there or I don't do, I, I don't, I'm not part of the, the Zulu cultural community, you know, mm. that she would be part of had she been raised in South Africa or in KZN. She doesn't hear her relatives speaking the language to her. And have it as sort of like a subconscious thing around yeah. her. And those things worried me. However, after a lot of thinking, I started to relax because I was freaking out about nothing. Because she isn't just Zulu, is she? She's half Zulu, half Swiss. And so what am I worried about? She is going to create a new culture for herself. And yes, it will have some nuances of a Zulu mom in there. However, I can't be freaking out about this stuff when she's just four years old. So what I can do is create measures so that she is open to exploring the Zulu side in depth later when she chooses, when she wishes. Because uh, she is, she's a mix of two worlds, which makes her a third world, you know, another world, which isn't me, which isn't her father. And that is going to be uniquely her own creation with my input, of course, and with the nurture, um, the, the nature of the surroundings all coming together to create something quite unique and something that I cannot quite control, but something that I can, that I can have fertile ground for her to grow in whatever direction she wishes, which brings me now to my book. That's why I wrote the book that I wrote, this uh, young 
adult fantasy book because the protagonist, the the hero, is a girl modeled after her. Okay. Half Swiss, half South African, half Zulu. And this child grows up in Switzerland until she reaches a certain age and then she's forced to go into South Africa where she discovers her Zulu culture and discovers how it is to live the Zulu way, the South African way, and learns about the folklore of her mother's people and so on. And when I wrote this book, it was, when I finished it, it was just when COVID, the pandemic began, and I was worrying now. So what if I get the COVID and I die? What is this child going to do? How is she going to find clues to her heritage? So being a dramatic as I am, I decided I'm going to write an entire book, which is going to be like a map for her in order to discover things and pique her curiosity about her culture in case I am not there to do it for her. And yeah, that's why I wrote the book and it's going to be a duology and it's all about, it's all seeped in the folklore and the magic and the stories that I was told growing up around the fires at nights because I had a childhood in rural South Africa as well as the urban areas. And all these stories that I was told of our folklore are in this book and they become the world of this character's um, journey. They become the backdrop pretty much mm. of the character's journey. When's the and book being published? The, pardon? When's it coming out again? It's coming out this year in April. However, my publisher could decide to make it earlier depending on what they are up to. So I haven't, I don't have an, an exact date, mm. but it's supposed to be April. Okay. Yeah. You are listening to the Listen to Your Footsteps podcast, a podcast in which I chat to Africans from across sections of society and sectors, including art, culture, design, business, and creativity, to name a few. I delve into their journeys, the decisions they've taken to get to where they are, how they do what they do and everything in between. Essentially, we go wherever the conversation takes us. It's interesting for me listening to you talk about this uh, because, because my father's African from Ghana. My mother's mm -hmm. European from Germany. Mm -hmm. I was born in Germany. And then we mm -hmm. moved to East Africa because my father was a lecturer. Um, mm -hmm. And my mother died when I was 14 months. Mm -hmm. And then we moved to Lesotho when I was about, what, three? Mm -hmm. um, and so when you talk about kind of the influence of heritage and identity and culture and everything else, um, mm -hmm. it's, it's the journey of my life. But adding yeah. in adding in an additional country of Lesotho, and I live in South Africa, and I went to I went to schools that ran on the British system, um, yeah. and like everybody else, I was raised on, well, I grew up on kind of American t television and hip hop yeah. and that sort of stuff, yeah. and yeah. 
each one of those things is kind of influenced who I've become. Yes. Uh, which, which, like you're saying, ends up being this mishmash. Um, mm. But also, yeah, also having children, I'm realizing that also the one can try and guide, one can try mm-hmm. and put in the the necessary influence that we feel is important. Mm-hmm. And then children go their own way. So my exactly. daughter, my daughter is into K-pop and everything Korean. Uh, I know that you like your, the K, your K-dramas. Good for her. Yes. Um, I mean, <laughs> she's, she'd already plotted how she could become a K-pop um, artist Idol, without, yeah. w- without being Korean. And she's like, at 10 years old, she's explaining to her mother, like, this is the path. This is how you do it. You don't necessarily mm. need to be, you know, ne- necessarily need to be uh, South Korean to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, and yeah. she she looks oriental to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. So it's like, yeah, well, okay, well, and you know I mean, what? I've, I've got Ghana, like I've got Ghana, I've got Germany, I've got Lesotho, uh, mother's South African. And now there's and Korea. She, and she's just like, yo man, Korea is the thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I need to make a plan at some, one of these days for us to be able to visit also because I'm into like I'm into anime and that sort of stuff. So I, yeah. I'm dying to go to Japan. Like I collect figurines and all of yeah. that stuff. So I'm dying to go places like Japan and Korea. Um, oh, but yes. yeah, now I have That's to go. Good. I have to go to Korea because of my daughter. Oh yeah. No, no, no. Uh, you, you raise a very good point and that is it. You know, we can plan and make contingency plans to infinity and something totally different from what we planned or prepared for might occur. Hmm. So we just do our best, you know, and just be open and make sure that when they decide who they want to be, they can be that and not come from a place where they feel that they were not given an option to be whatever they choose. Absolutely. And that's where I am now. I'm just, I just want I'm just in that space where I'm giving her options because I cannot, for example, she, when I, I, I cook South African food, right? And I'll be making pap and I'll be making uche and all these things, trying to get her into it. And she'd be like, ew, <laughs> no, mommy, no, don't like it. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> and she wants cut-off and sauerkraut and wurst. Yeah, she, she <laughs> wants her bratwurst yeah. and her potato whatnot. And I'm just like, oh. And she, she had, she broke my heart when she said, when I made her curry and she was like, she doesn't like the spice. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> I give up. <laughs> <laughs> So I like make bland food now, you know, for her, for her taste. Cause yeah, it's not about me. It, it really isn't about me. So you learn these things, you, you get humble and it, it's funny. It's, it's joyful. It's, it, it's beautiful in its way. So yeah, I mean, I freaked out a lot about this whole environment thing and uh, raising in Switzerland and not being around her aunties and whatnot. But at the end of the day, she 
is not my type of South African. She's a different type of South African, mm. the one with Swiss mixed in there. And I'm sure as she grows up and life takes us in different directions, she'll, just as it happened to you, she will incorporate different aspects and different facets and make this beautiful new human, this new, this new being that is an expression of all these little things that just make this beautiful picture. And yeah, that's all I can do about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I agree. I always, I've always believed that our, our job really is to give them options um, to be yeah. able, for them to be able to, uh, and and to try and help them get the let's say emotional tools to deal with life as it comes yeah um and kind of beyond that is just i was saying to my i was saying to my my son the other day and who's now 15 so that's an another different world um <laughs> but i, I was yeah. saying I, I was saying to him um if there's one thing i've learned about about being a father and I guess being a husband to a certain extent is not being a, is not wanting to say I told you so and just being supportive mm-hmm. uh, when something has happened because mm. I'll say listen don't do that because this is going to happen and then it happens mm. Uh, mm. With, with 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 somebody random it'd be like listen I told you so you must deal with exactly. it exactly with your child it's like okay yeah, okay. I'm, I'm really sorry that it happened. Control. Here's a hug. Uh, okay, you know, how are you going to fix it? Meanwhile, yeah, I told exactly. you yesterday that, listen, yeah. don't do this thing. And it's also part of their learning as well. Yeah, They will learn to trust you by making these mistakes and seeing, oh, dad had a point. He's not trying to mislead me. He's not working against me. So... Even when they don't listen at first and they do get burnt and whatever, it works out in the end. You just, as a parent, you just keep on saying these things and let them make the mistakes and they will see, they, they are smart enough. Yeah, They can see, okay, this person wasn't misleading me. It happened just the way they said it would. And that will add to the trust of the relationship. So it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, the ebbs and flows of life. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as we kind of start to wind down, what's what's a day in your life? I mean, right now, because I see it it does feel like you're really submerging yourself in the painting again. Yes. Um. For the last four years, the day in the life of Tanya has been parenthood, 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 and because I'm a full time stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. while she was a child before kindergarten. Now she's in kindergarten. Now I have more free time. Now I can go back to myself. Sorry to interrupt and, you. I love that word kindergarten. And it took me forever uh, to get used to crash. Like I'm like, what this crash thing? Oh. Like I grew up with kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you would, hey. Yeah, oh, crash. <laughs> I, I, I used, Sorry I'm to interrupt, but I had but I had to say that because I just, I love yes. that word. <laughs> so, since she's in kindergarten, oh, they call it Kinski here, because okay. you know there's Schweizerdeutsch and there's actual yeah, yeah. Deutsch, yeah. Hochdeutsch, which is the the German that you probably know, 
And then there's Schweizerdeutsch, which is like a dialect of German, which she speaks now as well. So now since since she's in kindergarten, I have more free time. Now I can sort of reclaim myself again and start doing the things that I like to do now or the things that are me and not involved with her. Mm. Because I think a lot of... Uh, you know, there's the, sometimes as when you become a mom and you are plummeted into this role of being a caretaker, when it's time to let go, some of us do not let go. And then we develop this kind of codependency with our mm. kids. Because your identity is defined by that role. Exactly. And, you know, um, I don't want that for myself. And I can't anyway, because I have these interests, I have these desires, I have these goals that I want to do. But I, for the first four years of her life, as I said, it's also a deal that I made before she was even born, that that's how I'm going to do it, was that I was going to be 100% there. And I think that's a, a byproduct of being a child of a mom who worked a lot. Mm. So I wanted to be the complete opposite. I wanted yeah. to be there and be present and be hands-on. And, you know, the whole doing everything that one does as a mother. That's what I said I'm going to do. And I think that's a byproduct because my mom was a working mom, very busy. She had to provide and it was something that she had to do. So... Because I, as I said, I'm an overthinker. So I, when I do things, I had planned them already. And that was the plan. The first four years are all about her. Just me pouring all my energy into her. And I knew though that there will come a time where she will start now branching into her own life, making friends, having her own activities and so forth. And that time that I can regain myself and do the things that also make me happy and make me, me. Mm. And that's why now I'm back to my art again, but I'm, it, it's different as I said, but she changed me yeah. <clears throat> because before I would do art because it gives me joy. You know, it makes me happy, it fulfills me. But now, I'm not just doing art for me. Now, I'm making it into a business for her. So, she has put a fire in me now to, to make this art thing more than just, you know, a hobby where I just, yeah. you know, sit and perch myself at the top of Zurich and draw. But now... I want to leave her something, you know, I want to, I want her to have some, uh, to create some sort of legacy for her where if something happens and you know, like as parents, we're always thinking if something happens to me, I need to make sure that these babies are okay, you know? So if something were to happen to me, she will have something of me, not just the pieces themselves, but something that she can maintain if she wanted to, 
or not, or sell off if she wanted to or not. So by having a child, it has changed my perspective on art and how to work it. Before it was very self-serving. It was all just about me having fun, having joy, feeling the inspiration, being in touch with the higher realms and channeling these beautiful sounds and pictures into this world and all of that. And now it's become, okay, have fun, do all of that, but also make it useful for her. But has that, cha- has that changed how you approach like the craft of it, right? So there's the, what you do with it once you've created it. And, yeah. and and the ecosystem that you create around it, right, to ensure that mm. to ensure that it, it you know it lives beyond whether it's you know whether it's selling online, whether it's exhibition. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a young exactly. artist. There's a young artist I know. Well, I I met him as an adult. Now I knew him mm-hmm. as a child. He was a friend's. He's a friend's son. Uh-huh. Um, and I last saw him when he was like eight, nine years old, and now he's in his twenties, and he's a really good artist. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I recently bought a T-shirt from him because he's doing rugs. You know, I mean, he's doing, you know, he's doing traditional paintings and sketches, mm-hmm. but he's doing T-shirts and he's doing rugs and that sort of stuff. So there's mm. there's the there's the ecosystem around it, right? In terms of from yeah, a business perspective. Yeah. Um, but does that impact on let's call it the craft side of it? So when you're sitting down now to mm. to draw or to paint um, mm-hmm. does that end result impact on on how you approach it or are you creating and then looking at how it plugs into this ecosystem yeah that's a very interesting question a very good one because i was actually thinking okay so my online store also launching around the same time as the book because it's like an art portal into me. It's like where you find my creative works, whatever they are, and you buy it or you collaborate or you, you know, commission something or you, you know, whatever. Hmm. So Look, it, ma- it makes portal. sense because you take advantage of the book. All these uh, things. Yeah. That, that brings that attention. Yeah. Yeah. So on this art portal, it's my originals that are on sale. However, I'm making other products, textiles, merch, Mm. and it comes from hoodies to T-shirts to mugs to, I mean, the products are, it's a wide range. And... At first, I didn't even think about applying my art in this way. It was only afterwards when I realized, okay, so what happens when I've done the original? That's it. Yeah. No, can't be (laughs) it. It has to be something, I said to myself, that can create some form of passive income and also something to... To drive the business itself, and it can't be the originals, because I am one person, and to make an original piece, depending on the size, may take from a 
couple of hours to a couple of weeks. Because mm. if you commission me, for example, to do a portrait, that's going to take a bit long uh, because I'm trying to make it look like you, you know? Uh, if it's an abstract, it might take maybe a week or whatever, but it's a finite um, commodity, Yeah, the painting itself, you know? However, so what happens if they buy all these 20 paintings and they're gone? That's it. Now I have to create 20 more. That doesn't make sense. So I decided sell them in prints. So the same painting that you can get an original from, you can get in print, sell it as hoodies, as T-shirts, as cups, as phone covers, as duffel bags, as material. And what's fortunate is that the way I create, um, it creates pretty prints. Mm. So, but the, the thing to answer your question now is that I don't think much about the application when I'm doing the painting. Okay. I am fully immersed in whatever this energy that I'm in to create this, this beautiful site. And I'm guided by the inspiration. You know how we artists are. We live in this la-la land where we get things from the ethers and comes down and it's put on paper or whatever. So that's where I'm at. Then after a piece is done, then I sit back and say, okay, how can I apply this? So what's fortunate is that I haven't been able to to be to be tainted by the monetizing of my work because mm. the work is still done in the same way it still gives me the same feeling it still is the focus of why I'm doing this it's for the joy of it I love painting the other stuff that's secondary even though it's very important, it's secondary. Mm. And so, yeah, I haven't had a, I don't even think about how I'm going to apply it. In, in, in fact, there are paintings that I look at and I think, Mm-mm, this cannot look good in anything except for being a print of itself. It doesn't look good in a duffel bag. It doesn't look good in a tote bag. It doesn't look good in anything except mm. for it being a painting and there are some paintings that cannot be applied into merchandise or textiles Yeah. while there are others that can, because the main focus is me creating these paintings. Cool. So my last question, mm-hmm. um, do you have any say African, whether it's books, music, artists, creative people that, motivate you or look that you look to in terms of or whose work you just love hmm. <sighs> that's a tricky question and it it exposes me as a very self-involved individual okay because of course i love many artists but that only applies in music. As far as things like painting and books and books, 
But as far as like painting and so forth, it, it's such a self-involved, um, self-expression that I don't look to anyone because I don't mm. want to also copy or, yeah. or absorb anybody's style or anything like that. I'm very finicky about that. I have to be original. I have to do something that I have never seen. And so I try not to look at things from other people because I do tend to be a mimicker. Mm. Like if I spend enough time with you, I'll probably start sounding like you. It's one of those things that I have to be careful of. However, with things like books and things like music, there's one author who I absolutely love and that's Mohale Mashiho. Okay, yeah. Uh, black porcelain. Yeah, I've had it. She was, I think, my fourth or fifth fifth episode. She's also mm. a, very, a very good friend. Love her. Very inspirational. Love what she's done as far as take her artistry as far as writing and apply it to different mediums like comic books. Um, and it, it just, she has done something that made me feel seen because I am that girl, that African geek girl, you know, who loves comic books, but also into literature and so forth. So very inspirational, love her work. And there is another author as well. Uh, she is on, with the same publisher as me. So it, it, uh, I'm not trying to like, you know, uh, push our publisher. <laughs> you with Tabisa, uh, right? Tabisa's Naledi. publishing. Okay. Um, it's Tabisa publishing you, Backblade, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. And I just came at the right time there at uh, Blackbird Books when they are going international. So I'm really happy about that. <laughs> um, yeah. Naledi wrote Invisible Strings and it's she's also one of a black girl writing about, you know, fantasy type things. And it's just a girl after my own heart in so many aspects because she's just like Mohale. Uh, she is doing something that was thought of as almost unheard of, you know, mm. like black girls doing fa sci-fi fantasy. It's not unheard of, but it's, it's just not very common. And the fact that these girlies are doing it, it's just, it makes me feel like, hey, I'm not in strange. Yeah, there's a space for you. Yeah. And it makes me feel welcome. It makes me feel less afraid, less anxious. And to see the successes that they have had from their books, it makes me hopeful. And another author who is also doing beautiful fantasy, she's um, called Shamiz uh, Patel. And I think if I say her son uh, her, she's married to a greek guy and i don't know how to say greek names okay. papatanasio okay. i think um 
she is also a, a fantasy girl. She writes fantasy and romance. She, an Indian girl, you know, South African. So I'm very inspired by the young women or just, you know, women mm. of color who are doing the things that are generally the space for white men. I find that very kick-ass, very inspirational. Um, I think and, you must read, I don't know if you've ever read Nnedi Okorafor. She's Nigerian-American. I have. Because she's Actually, she's one of my favorite. She also writes she, fantasy rooted in rooted in kind of African mythology, etc. Yeah, she writes the what do you call this genre? It's different from Mohale and my genre. Yeah, oh, I mean, so what she it, wrote Bintu and there's Bintu yes, and Lagoon and uh, there's a whole bunch. Very good. And another one. Oh, uh, this one you have to read. Uh, J.K. What is this? J.K. Not Rowling, please. Uh, <laughs> Jameson. Uh, Jameson. Let me find her. N.K. Jameson. Okay. I haven't heard of her. I'll look out for her stuff. N.K. Jameson is probably the best author for me for science fiction and fantasy of the African genre. Okay. I recommend her books. You won't be able to put it down. When I read her book, the fifth season and all those books she's written, I think she's also Nigerian, but she's she lives in New York. She, when I read a book, it basically said, okay, this is the standard. And you either do something close to this or just, you know, <laughs> pack your bags and don't bother. So, yeah, I love her work uh, as well. And as far as musicians, like, I love everything South African music, please. And I know people always laugh at me when I say I love gom music. You know gom? Yeah. You know Deppen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you already said you're from KZN, it's fine. Nothing, yeah, there's nothing, yeah, exactly. nothing wrong. Understand. Nothing I'm wrong. a Zulu girl. <laughs> nothing <And> wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so every time people are saying, I love my gom music, please. People are like, eh, she is so Zulu. And um, like another thing that people don't know about me, my father was a Zulu chief. And that's why, you know, I have uh, life in rural South Africa as well as urban areas. Uh, so I'm very Zulu. Okay. So things that are Zulu-esque are just very close to my heart. <laughs> so that's why I'm like this. <laughs> mm. So so when you were when you were talking earlier, when we were talking about the music thing, mm. uh Mohal is somebody that came to mind because when I first met her, she was a musician. Um, yes. And when she started, when when she was the lead up to her first book, I remember phoning mm. and going, and then you're writing books now. Yeah. Uh, because exactly. I, my context with her was purely music. music. Um, and, and that's something that we also had kind of a conversation about in terms of just, you know, 
when you find yourself in a particular place and you just kind of focus mm. on focus on that and yeah um and, and, um, and not, not really it's, stressing it's, about you're missing out on anything it's just like this is where i am now therefore it this is what feels that f- what feels right for this moment exactly and it's also it's it's honoring your authentic self because who you were yesterday is not really who you are now and a lot of people have this impression that if you decide to do something you need to stick it out for the rest of your life mm. i don't know who it's probably the boomers who got it into people that you know we are one dimensional beings and we like one thing for the rest of our lives and i personally believe that a person's entire being is a spectrum and with every with the passing of time we get to experience different parts of that spectrum and so it is natural to have different interests at different times of our lives and to to box yourself is doing a huge disservice to your personal development and just your evolution as a person you will i can bet feel very jaded very unfulfilled and bored if you think that you have to be the same thing for 80 years yeah and you're just robbing yourself of the mirrors of experiences that you could have on this beautiful earth and i think it's just personally i think it's important that we just do something different every 4 years just to see just to see On that note, thank you very mm-hmm. much for your time. No, thank you very much for having me. Uh I would have liked to ask you a couple of questions, but maybe <laughs> I'll do a podcast and have you as a guest. <laughs> There you go. The Listen to Your Footsteps podcast is produced by Zebra Culture. If you have ideas of what we can do better, people you'd like us to have a conversation with, or would just like to share a thought, you can email me on info@zebraculture.com. To check out past episodes, go to kojabuffer.com slash podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend. If you'd like to get a copy of the book, listen to your footsteps, check out kojabuffer.com slash book. There are details on the various spaces it's available at. I'd also appreciate it if you could leave a review or comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. Finally, there's the Zebra Culture by Kojabuffer newsletter where on a weekly basis... I share a curated list of articles, playlists, videos, etc. that have caught my attention. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it.